That's so good. That's so good. Grab a quick seat this morning. Man, I hope you're encouraged by that worship set like I was. So grateful to our worship team who leads us every single week. Hey, we are continuing in our Ready or Not teaching series. We're looking at the life of Joshua. Really excited to share today's message with you. Uh, but first, we get to celebrate baptism. So baptism is a big deal around here at Vaughn Forest Church. In fact, if you've never seen a baptism at Vaughn Forest, we like to get really, really loud, all right? So uh, Chris Ireland, one of our members here, he's going to baptize his daughter Avery here in just a moment. And when Avery comes up out of the water, I need her to hear y'all yelling like you're going to in a couple weeks when your favorite college football team starts the season, okay? So we're going to celebrate some baptism this morning. So Chris, I'll hand it off to you, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, church. Uh, we're excited to be up here. So I'm Chris Ireland. Uh, this is my oldest daughter, Avery. And uh, some time ago, Avery accepted Jesus into her life. And um, I think since that time, every time she joined us in the service, uh, she would mark on the connection card. I want to get baptized. I want to get baptized. So uh, we're excited to be up here today. So um, Avery, as an affirmation uh, in front of your church family, have you accepted Jesus into your life as your Savior? Yes. So it is upon that profession, my sister in Christ, that I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If that doesn't get you fired up, I don't know what will. That is awesome. That is awesome. That made my day. And we love Chris and Abby and their daughters. We're so grateful they're a part of our church family. And I'm grateful you're here today as well. Now, if we haven't met, my name's Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's great to see so many of you here on our campus. I know we got a bunch of y'all joining us online. We don't want to leave you out. So we're glad you're joining us as well. So we just kicked this series off last Sunday. We're looking at some principles from the life of Joshua in the Old Testament. We're seeing how we can apply those to our lives today. So let me give you the title of today's message. It's a story you're probably familiar with because we're going to talk about the fall of Jericho. Now, if your grandmama drug you to church when you were a kid, at some point you heard the story of Jericho, right? It's not one of those stories that there's a big mystery to, all right? We already kind of know how the story ends, but I'm hoping by looking at this story today, maybe with some fresh eyes, we'll see some things that the Lord can show us about it that maybe we've never seen before. But before we get to that, I'm going to put something up here on the screen that might look a little strange. It says article slash YouTube video. Let me tell you why I put that up there. This story that we're going to look at today is one of the most attacked stories in the entire Bible. What do I mean? People who think that those of us who are Christians have lost our ever-loving minds, that we actually believe that something like this could happen. It's like the Battle of Jericho and fairy tales and unicorns. That's how a lot of people like to look at Christians. And in reality, the Battle of Jericho, the fall of Jericho, what we're going to look at today is one of the accounts in the Bible that has the most archaeological evidence. And so this week, as I was researching that, I came across an article that was fantastic. And I also came across a YouTube video that was fantastic. And both of them are referencing the same archaeological digs that have already happened. And one of them is interactive YouTube video. Sometimes our kids and teenagers like to learn more that way. The other one's a little bit more of an article, a little more academic that you can read. So what I want to do is I want to send those to you. So if you will write, if you're interested in this, if you will write on the prayer request line in your connection card, article or 
YouTube video. I'll send you an email. It'll have both links. It'll be the link to the article, and it'll be the link to the YouTube video. And let me just say something about this YouTube video. The folks that put this thing together, they're fantastic. So I went ahead and subscribed to the channel, and as I looked through it, they do this with lots of different biblical stories. So you can go on this YouTube channel, and they'll take you to an account in God's Word, and then they'll take you on site where it actually happened, and they'll show you some archaeological evidence. And as I said, the story of Jericho is one of the stories, it's insane. Like when you listen to these folks talk to this YouTube video, I mean, even people who don't believe uh, with faith, they don't believe, they wouldn't consider themselves a Christ follower. The evidence matches up literally exactly with everything that the story that we see from the book of Joshua says. So it's a really fascinating thing. I thought it might be interesting to you. So if you'll write that again on the prayer request line, we will email that to you this week. But we are going to talk about the fall of Jericho today. And it's really easy when we talk about the fall of Jericho to actually talk about that. And why wouldn't we? I mean, it's a remarkable thing that happened. But what I want to do today is I want to point out three things that actually happened before the walls of Jericho ever fell. And I think these three things are easy to miss because this is such a big story in the Bible. I mean, the walls of Jericho falling. So grab your message notes. If you're here on our campus, in your bulletin. If you're joining us online, you can access them uh, right here on VaughnForest.com. If you're on Facebook Live or YouTube, you can use your VaughnForest Church app. But what I want to do is I want to give you three things that happened kind of chronologically before they ever got to Jericho. And then I've got a takeaway in your notes. What's the takeaway? The takeaway then is what does this matter to us? What does this mean to us? How do we take this principle from this old story in the Old Testament and apply it to our lives today? Okay, so that's kind of the goal. Look at the story, see some things, take away, put it into practice. Here's the first thing I want you to jot down. Before the walls of Jericho fell, there was a clear testimony of God's kindness. Before these walls ever fell. So let me see if I can set this up for you. We find this in Joshua chapter 2. Joshua sends two spies into Jericho. Now, last week we saw where Joshua was a spy, okay? 40 years previous. He sends two spies in to kind of, you know, just get a lay of the land, kind of check out the city, see everything that's going on. And they end up meeting someone named Rahab. Now, Rahab is a prostitute. And Rahab basically recognizes what's about to happen. She recognizes who God is. She knows who these men are. And she is going to ask if she and her family can be spared. So let me take you to the biblical account of how we see this happen. Again, from Joshua chapter 2, verse 9. This is Rahab speaking. That's why it's in quotation marks. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. Pause. That's over 40 years ago. She just referenced something that happened over 40 years ago. We talked about this last week. So Moses leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. God parts the Red Sea. And then through a series of events, that generation is told, y'all are not going to get to enter the promised land, but your kids will. We're now 40 years later. Those kids have become adults. And here's what I need you to see. Everybody in Jericho knew who God was. Everybody in Jericho had heard of Yahweh God, the God of the Hebrew people, the God of the Israelites, the God who his people believed created the heavens and the earth, the God who goes before his people, the God who can split the Red Sea, the God who rescued and redeemed his people from Egypt. And for 40 years, they've had the opportunity to turn away from their pagan practices and turn toward God. And yet they continue to be stubborn and prideful, except for one person. And it's a prostitute who recognizes God for who he really is. That's the irony of what's happening here in this passage. 
She's heard what God can do. Her relatives have heard what God can do. This has been passed down for 40 years, and yet she's the only one who is now going to respond in faith. So we heard what God did for you in Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, which are really good names, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage fell because of you. Listen to this. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. She is literally declaring who God is, okay? We continue. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign. You will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. That YouTube video is actually going to draw attention to this, where her house would have been based on the construction of the city through this archaeological dig, okay? So she basically says, hey, will you make sure that we are taken care of? And they say, yeah, as long as you don't tell everybody what we're up to. And as you read through the rest of the story, after the walls of Jericho fall, when they go into the city, there's a cord that's hanging out of her window. That's the sign. And sure enough, Rahab and her family, they are rescued. They are not destroyed. And when you get to Matthew chapter 1 and you start reading through the lineage of Jesus Christ, guess whose name shows up in that lineage? Rahab. It's unbelievable how God works these things out. That God in his graciousness and God in his kindness and God in his long-suffering nature to just continue to be patient with sinners is giving these folks who live in Jericho chance after chance after chance after chance. And there's one who gets it, and her name is Rahab. And it's a reminder to us that God is patient, that God is kind, that God is faithful, that God does not act quickly, that God gives people an opportunity to respond in faith. Now let's look at how the New Testament explains this in 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. What does that mean? Well, in the first century, towards the end of the first century, some people were starting to say things like this. Hey, you've said Jesus is going to return. Where is he? And this was one of the attacks that people were using against Christians. And here we are 2,000 years later, and people may look at you and go, hey, you're one of those Christians. You think Jesus is going to return. Where is he? That's not a new argument. People have been making that argument for 2,000 years. And sometimes people take that argument and say, well, that's why what you believe isn't true. But what Peter tells us is why it's taking a while. The Lord's not being slow and keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, what is he? He's patient. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone. Who's everyone? Everyone. That's what that means. Everyone to come to repentance. That God is continuing to be patient and kind and give people an opportunity to respond by faith and accept the salvation that has been purchased for them, the cross of Jesus Christ, the eternal life that's offered to them through our resurrected Savior. And God is being slow and he's being patient. Why? So everyone can come to a place of repentance and experience salvation. So here's the takeaway I want you to jot down today. Don't ever assume someone is too entrenched in sin to be rescued from sin. Don't make that mistake. Nobody would have thought Rahab would be the person to see Yahweh God for who he was, and yet she did it. Who's that person in your life? Man, they're easy to write off. It's easy to think they're too far from God. They've said before they were going to straighten things out. They went right back to what they did before. It's easy for us to begin to make assumptions about people in our lives. And here's my challenge for you. Don't do that. No one's ever too far outside of God's reach. Jesus' death on the cross was for everyone. The person that you think is farthest from God is the person who God can change their life in a moment 
the power of the Holy Spirit as that person accepts Jesus Christ into their life as their Savior. So there's that person. Don't ever assume they're too entrenched in their sin. It's the takeaway I think we see from this story with God's kindness, and I think it's the takeaway we can see from the life of Rahab, right? Here's the second thing that happened before Jericho. Before the walls of Jericho fell, there was the crossing of the Jordan River. They got to cross another body of water before they can get to Jericho, and this is nothing new. We just talked about Rahab mentioning, hey, we know God parted the Red Sea for you guys. We've heard the story. So God parted the Red Sea with Moses, and now all these years later, there's a river. And you think, well, come on, man, a river. I've walked across a river. It's one thing for God to part a sea, but a river. But see, what we're going to see from this passage is that the river was at its flood stage. So this was a large body of water that God had to part for them to walk through. And God gave some very specific instructions for how they were to cross the Jordan River. We're going to kind of pick the passage up here in Joshua chapter 3 in the midst of those instructions. So as soon as the priest who carried the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zaraton while flowing down to the Sea of Araba, that is the Dead Sea, and it was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. So God does it again. God literally parts another body of water. But what I want you to see is how the children of Israel acted this time when God parted the body of water for them. So that's our takeaway. I want you to jot down these three words. Commemorate, consecrate, celebrate. And can I tell you, this is like every preacher's dream, to come up with three words that rhyme, okay? It took me a long time to come up with this, so I hope you appreciate that, all right? But they rhyme. I'm very happy about that, all right? Commemorate, consecrate, celebrate. I'm hoping that makes it a little easier for you to remember these things. This is what the children of Israel did. Now, I'm going to kind of summarize it for you because this is spread out over a couple of chapters. But they did three things after God led them across the Jordan River. The first thing they did was they commemorated what had happened. I think it's one of the coolest things in the Bible how they did this. This is God's idea. So God says, hey, here's what I want you guys to do. While the waters are still parted, in the middle of the Jordan River, gather 12 large stones. Now, these stones would have been, you know, round. You've seen what rocks look like in a river. The river kind of makes them smooth. 12 large round stones from the middle of the river, bring them over to the dry shore and stack them, one for each tribe of Israel. 12 stones stacked upon one another. And from this day forward, every time somebody walks past this this pile of 12 stones, there's going to be a story that will be told commemorating what God did. Those stones used to be out in the middle of that river, and the only way they got here on the shore is because of what God did. They commemorated what God had done. The next thing they did was they consecrated themselves. Now, this one wasn't as big a celebration, but it was necessary. What we see from the passage is that for all of these 40 years, the Hebrew men had not been circumcised. For this entire 40 years. Now, if you're under the age of 15 and you don't know what circumcised means, ask your parents on the way home from church, okay? But that had not happened, okay? So they had to consecrate themselves, and so that's what happened. And, and circumcision in the Old Testament was an outward marking of a consecration. Well, what does that mean? It means to be set apart. So our New Testament application, when we talk about being consecrated before the Lord, is that holiness matters. That we don't have to be perfect because Jesus was perfect in our place. 
But because Jesus was perfect in our place and because he rescued, redeemed, and saved us, because the Holy Spirit indwells within us, because fruit of the Spirit matters in our lives, holiness is therefore something we commit ourselves to. Our lives should be different. The consecration matters. And the Hebrew people did this. And then finally they celebrated. And the passage says they celebrated through the Passover. They remembered. We sang about that earlier. They remembered what God had done, how God had passed over their ancestors before they were uh, re- they, before they were released from Egypt. So they commemorated, they consecrated, and they celebrated. So what does that mean to us today? I think we're, we're called to do the same thing. I mean, I, I talked with Avery backstage this morning and her dad, Chris, and I said, Avery, you're about to get baptized. Today is August 21st, 2022. I said, one day when you're old, like me and your dad, I want you to still remember this date. Said, what is this? We're commemorating something. Baptism is a commemoration. Baptism is, is something you get to celebrate. It doesn't have anything to do with your salvation, but it shows everybody else that you've gotten saved. It's, we commemorate. When God does something good, we drive those stakes in the ground and we say, this is when God showed up on my behalf. I would encourage you to do that. We also consecrate ourselves. I talked about this. Holiness matters. We don't go back to our sin nature. We, we continue to move forward in our walk with faith. We, we strive for spiritual growth. We lean on one another. We encourage one another. We, we turn away from sin and we turn towards God. And then we celebrate. We don't ever presume on God. But when God blesses, when God does something good, we celebrate. There's a lot of great things happening in the life of our church right now. And we're really loud about that. Why? Because we want to celebrate the goodness of God. I was just talking to someone in between the services. And she's been really active in our student ministry and serving the students in our student ministry. She said the things that our students are talking about right now, she said it's amazing to just listen to them open up and share what God's doing in their life and encourage one another. Can I tell you that in 2022, if teenagers are gathered together and they're talking about what God's doing in their life, we're going to celebrate that. We're going to celebrate that. When God is blessing our church and when God's bringing you people and people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, we're going to celebrate that. That we don't ever just want to assume that God's going to do something. So when he does something, man, we stand back and we say, thank you, God. And we don't draw attention to Vaughn Forest Church. We draw attention to him. So when God shows up in your life, can I encourage you? Celebrate. Commemorate. Do some things as a family. Draw attention to God's activity in your life. I think it's a big takeaway from this story. And then here's the third thing I want you to see. Before the walls of Jericho fell, there was active faith that led to unprecedented obedience. This is my favorite part of the story. Active faith. What is active faith? Active faith is where you give more than a head nod to God. Most of us think that faith is the same thing as agreeing. Yeah, that makes sense. I agree with that. I buy into that. That's not faith. Faith isn't faith until you do something about it. Faith isn't faith until you put it into practice. And they put their faith into practice in a way where there was unprecedented obedience. Let's look at the passage here, okay? Joshua chapter 6. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast of the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone straight in. So let's put this point back up here because I think this is crazy. I think this is absolutely nuts. We've read the story so many times. We're like, oh, of course that's what they did. But do you realize that in real time, 
There's nothing that's part of Israel's history that would give them any indication that this is how God works. Now, they've seen God part bodies of water. Okay, so we've seen God do that. They've seen God do the Passover. We've seen God do that. They've heard the story about how God provided the lamb for Abraham. We're doing a little little Bible trivia here, right? Abraham and Isaac, God shows up, brings the lamb. They know Noah had to build an ark. Like there's a little bit of a working knowledge of how God works. Can I tell you what is not in that handbook? Y'all march around this city once a day for six days, then on the seventh day do it seven times. They had 40,000 troops ready to fight. There were hundreds of thousands of people who knew Jericho was there for them to take. And when Joshua showed up and said, everybody gather around, here's the military strategy. I can't believe that no one didn't at least balk. That no one didn't kind of slowly raise their hand and just say, "Um, is this really what we're about to do? Y'all do know about half of us just got circumcised a month ago. This is not a good idea, right? We're not going to walk around for seven days. It's not a good plan. Or here's my favorite when someone says, I just want to be the devil's advocate. Can I just encourage you? The devil doesn't need any help. He does not need any advocates, okay? Don't be on his team. You're team Jesus, right? Do not be the devil's advocate. That was just for free, okay? But you don't see it. You don't see it. And what's interesting to me is how different that was from their parents that we learned about last week. The parents we learned about last week, God parted the Red Sea. They walked through the Red Sea, and the first thing they started doing was complaining. These kids grew up, and now they're adults, and God parts the Jordan River, and the first thing they do is commemorate, consecrate, celebrate. Every time Moses came to God's people and said, here's what we're going to do, somebody told him why that shouldn't happen. They sent 12 spies into the land, 10 of them came back, said there's no way we can do this. That is the pattern up until this point. And now you get to a place where God asks them to do something that there's nothing in their history that would indicate this is something they should do. And there is no biblical evidence that anybody balked at it. What's happening there? That is active faith that led to unprecedented obedience. The walls of Jericho fell down, not because they did all this marching. The walls of Jericho fell down because of obedience that God had said do, and they said, we'll do it. Look at what Hebrews says. I love this little verse, just kind of tucked away in Hebrews, New Testament. Hebrews 11.30. By what faith? The walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. This is a test of faith. This is a test of faith. God says, I know you got 40,000 troops. I know that you've seen how I've done things in the past, but this time, here's how we're going to do it. And here's what's incredible about God's people. They did it. They did it. It was unprecedented obedience, and it was driven by an active faith. You say, what on earth does that matter to me? I mean, I'm not going to be marching around cities anytime soon. So how am I supposed to take what they did and apply that to my life today? Let me ask you to jot this down. It's our third takeaway, and it's our ready or not principle from this message today. Delayed obedience is disobedience. There's no delay. There's no focus groups that meet. They don't send out a survey. God says, do this, and they do it. And did you know that in God's economy, delayed obedience is disobedience? God says, do this, and by our own human understanding, we say, that doesn't make any sense. I I don't understand why we would ever do that. And God says, I need you to obey. Did you know that to God, obedience matters? In the Old Testament, God says to obey is better than sacrifice. In the New Testament, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Can I ask you a question this morning? Where are you delaying obedience? Where has God clearly placed a step of obedience in front of you, and for whatever reason, you're just not doing it? 
could be in your marriage, could be your finances, might be your kid, might be your career, or it might be something that's, you know, a little less obvious. Maybe it's an area of your life that only you know about. But God is calling you to take a step of obedience, and you are doing the mental gymnastics of just working your way around it and justifying why you're not being obedient. And can I tell you what you're doing today? You're being disobedient. Putting off obedience is disobedience. Not being obedient, the moment you know what God tells you to do is disobedience. And I think obedience really matters. And I want to talk to you for a second about obedience because I think this is a conversation that more pastors need to have with their people. So I'm going to sit down and have a little conversation with you this morning, if that's okay. Pastor to people, because I love you. I think there are a lot of believers who miss their first step of obedience. And the first step of obedience, according to the New Testament, after you become a follower of Jesus, is baptism. It's baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism has nothing to do with your salvation. You can go to heaven without ever being baptized. We know that from the thief on the cross. Jesus is hanging on the cross in his crucifixion. And he looks at the people on the cross and he says, today you're going to join me in paradise. You say, well, why does it matter then? I mean, if it doesn't have anything to do with my salvation and if it has no bearing on whether or not I get to go to heaven, what's the point? Here's the point, obedience. Obedience. Baptism is how you go public with your faith. Baptism is how you show everybody you're a follower of Jesus. The Christian who doesn't get baptized would be like me as a husband who says, I know Morgan and I, we're going to celebrate our 20th anniversary here in a few years, but I don't like wearing my wedding ring and I never talk about her. God be like, well, that doesn't make any sense. You, you must not really love her at all. No, no, I want to wear this wedding, man. I want to talk about her. I love her. She's my wife. I want everybody to know that I'm married to my wife. This is what this wedding band symbolizes. Baptism works many ways the same way. It tells everybody you're not ashamed to be a follower of Jesus. And I believe that in every church there are followers of Jesus. They just never took that step. And I, and I don't speak from a place of condemnation, but I will tell you this, obedience matters to God. And the Lord just led me this week. Actually, it was about three weeks ago. The Lord led me about three weeks ago that on this day, August 21st, 2022, he said there's going to be somebody at your church that day that needs to get baptized. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you that opportunity here at the end of our service. We did this at the last service, and we had somebody take us up on the opportunity. You're sitting here right now in this room, and for whatever reason, you never got baptized. And I am encouraging you, let me rephrase that, I am challenging you to get baptized, to take that step of obedience, to not delay that obedience and therefore become disobedient. Now, if that's you, you're sitting here, let me tell you what I know is true about you. You didn't intend for this to happen. I know how this happens. Someone gets saved, they experience salvation, they intend to get baptized. Just for whatever reason, it doesn't happen. And then before you know it, a few years have passed by. And now it's like, I can't do it now because everybody will think that I just became a Christian. Now, there's a little bit of an embarrassment that goes with that. Can I tell you this is a safe place? No, nobody in our church family is going to look at it that way. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I'm listening to my pastor and he's telling me I need to get baptized. And I kind of feel the Holy Spirit doing some working in me. But there's a bunch of reasons why I can't do that. Maybe you're thinking, I can't do that. I didn't bring a change of clothes. Don't you worry, we bought them for you. Okay? We went shopping this week and we got fancy. We went to Walmart and we bought some new clothes. Now, they're not fancy clothes, but they are new clothes. And we have them for you backstage. We got a change of clothes for you. They said, well, I don't have a towel. Lucky for you, we have towels as well. They said, well, I don't have my granddaddy, grandmama, aunt, uncle, and everybody else here in this room with me. Guess what? We are recording this service, and you can send them that link. I can do this all day. Whatever excuse the enemy puts in your mind, I can counter that with a reason. But here's the biggest reason, obedience. Obedience. It may just be one person. I'm not looking for quantity today. I'm being obedient. That's what I felt like the Lord led me to three weeks ago. But maybe that's you. 
And we've already had a child lead the way, church, this morning. To say, I'm bold enough to go public with my faith and let everybody know I'm not ashamed to be a follower of Jesus. So let me tell you how this is going to work. In just a moment, I'm going to call our worship team out and we're all going to stand up and we're going to respond and worship like we always do. And for many of you, that will be the time in our service where you're really having a conversation with God. And I think that's fantastic. But if the Lord is leading you to take that step of obedience today, all you have to do is go to the back of the room and Harper Alexander, who's our connections director, she's back there. You walk back there and she will guide you back. We have, you actually have to go that way to get backstage to get baptized. And she'll make sure that you find your way back there. You say, why are you doing this, man? Why are you issuing this kind of challenge? Well, I told you. I feel like the Lord led me to. But then can I tell you this? I think for, again, I'm talking to somebody today. I don't know who it is, so I'm just going to lump everybody together, okay? If it's you and you haven't taken your step of obedience, you haven't been baptized, I think you're missing out on clearly hearing from the Lord and walking faithfully with the Lord because disobedience creates a little bit of a barrier between us and the God. It doesn't affect our, our relationship. He still looks at you through the perfection of his son, Jesus Christ. But it does affect our fellowship. It does affect whether or not you can hear clearly from him. Obedience matters to God. And I think a reason, maybe, just maybe, as your pastor, that you may not be experiencing the abundant life that you know is out there for you, it might just be because you missed your first step of obedience. Hey, would you bow your head with me together today? And so, God, we come to you right now thanking you for this great story from the Old Testament where your people got it right. So many times in God's word, we see where they didn't get it right. But, God, we rejoice that they did get it right. And we have this great example. And, God, that at the core of what's happening is obedience, an act of faith that led to obedience. And, God, may we just be reminded today that obedience matters in all areas of our life. That God, I really believe that at all times you are calling your children to take a step of obedience. And part of what it means to grow in our faith and to experience spiritual maturity is quite simply just to take that step of obedience. God, for the person who's here today who needs to take that step of obedience called baptism, I pray you'd give them boldness. God, I pray that you would lead them in these next few moments to take those steps so that we could celebrate their baptism as well. So God, we thank you for that. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, can I invite you to stand? And as we do, we'll worship together this morning.